In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cammie and Sandy. This week on Money Tales, Samantha Varner is our guest. Over the last 15 years or so, Sam has moved with her husband to three different countries. Each move came soon after the birth of a child. While her husband's career prompted the relocations, Sam, as an entrepreneur at heart, continued to focus on her own career. Sadly, the international moves disrupted her plans because of the different tax structures and regulations. Sam decided to figure out a way to make a business that would be like a turtle shell a business she could take with her regardless of where she ended up. That's exactly what she did. Sam is the founder of She Collective. Her mission is to show business owners how they can live full and robust lives while building massively profitable businesses. From speaking on stage, hosting her podcast, She Needs Grit, which Sandy and I were guests of, Sam is the ass-kicking profit coach for The Driven Entrepreneur. Here are three key money topics Sam hits on in this conversation. First, what it's been like to figure out the different versions of herself. Sam has been the working mom, the corporate mom, and is now the entrepreneur mom. Second, how moving from country to country uncovered financial surprises. And third, how as an entrepreneur mom, Sam has learned to work in the nooks and crannies of her day, whether that's been during a child's nap time or while waiting in the pickup line at school. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now on to our conversation with Sam Varner. Welcome to the Money Tales podcast. I'm Cami Doder. And I am Sandy Brager. Cami, my family and I recently watched Jerry Maguire. I was joyously reminded of the whole show me the money piece of that movie. Oh my gosh, that is a memorable scene, scenes in general. It was so fun. As I reflected back on that, I was thinking, gosh, show me the money. Like the emphasis was on the money, but there was good reason in the context of the film, of course. But what I was really focused on was the power of a short phrase. Something as simple as show me the money is so filled with messaging and how sometimes it can help us out in our money conversations, in our financial lives, when we set financial goals for ourselves to really boil them down into one simple expression or even use shortcut names for accounts or achievement of goals, especially the lofty goals. People can have a lot of fun with that. We do that with clients all the time. There's a client that I work with who our catchphrase together is no dog food. 
because that was the first thing they told us when we started working with them is make sure that you help us achieve our goals because we don't want to eat dog food when we retire. That was a fear. Another client situation I can think of was naming an account after a particular address, a home that they aspired to purchase. And this was an account that they set up to put some money aside for a down payment on that purchase. So there's just lots of fun things. And it's really great to come up with expressions. And if you can say the expressions as well as the character Rod Tidwell did, and Jerry Maguire himself, I think you can have a lot of fun with it and it can help those money conversations. I am in love with what you highlighted in this movie because I love slogans and taglines to bring to life the message because I think it's so sticky. We all reset our passwords. A lot of times they're my inspirational tagline for that period of time. So I can't tell you what mine is right now, but it is my current slogan. (laughs) I love it. Of course, you have to use all those symbols in passwords so that dollar sign could come in handy. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, that's great, Cammie. Well, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Sam Varner. It is really fantastic to have you on the Money Tales podcast. I am so excited to be here. Would you start us off, Sam, with a brief introduction and in that share a couple pivotal moments that have taken place in your life that really impacted and influenced who you are today? For sure. So I'm Sam Varner. I am the Profit Coach. I have a company called Crush Profit Coaching, and I work with entrepreneurs to help them make more money in their business. That is the goal to be more profitable, to have more money in their pockets than just revenue top line. But I, in addition to obviously being a profit coach, I'm also a mom to four kids, which we were chatting with a little bit before we started recording. And it's a little chaos at my house, but they, I think, are a huge one of those pivots when it comes to when I think about money, how much of a shift that happened in my life as I became a mom and as I became then figuring out the working mom version of myself and corporate mom version of myself and then now entrepreneur mom. That's been a huge factor in just how I look at money, especially with four mouths to feed and really to keep them in running shoes. That's the big deal at our house, it seems like lately. But I think being a mom, that's been one of the major pivotal pivotal things that I've experienced in terms of money, besides just all of my corporate history of being a CFP and doing financial planning, and then transitioning into owning my own business over the years. Those are probably the two that jump out at me most significantly. I love it. That's perfect. Well, let's go back to when you were a kid and share with us, when did money start having meaning to you? There is a very clear memory. So there were five kids in my family and I'm the oldest. And there was a very clear... I see a trend here, Sam. I know. My husband has six kids in his family. So you're right. There might be a trend. We wouldn't know what to do with a quiet and one child family. That would have been very weird for both of us. So we decided to make it a party at our house too. But I remember back to school shopping, which was a much bigger deal. I grew up in Canada. So the seasons were a bigger shift. And it was really like end of summer back to school was new seasonal clothes as well. It was when my dad got paid when the check came in the mail, he was an entrepreneur. And there was absolutely not a guarantee that we were doing back to school shopping when back to school happened. But instead, it was based on 
when the check comes in the mail. And I can remember that very, very clearly as a kid. I was probably maybe 10 or 11, maybe even nine when I experienced that. And then kind of realizing, oh, money doesn't just grow on trees or isn't just universally available, but we have to wait with dad's job. That's definitely one of those ones that sticks with me. What was the message? Like, were your parents running to the mailbox every day to check for the checks? (laughs) No, I don't remember that. I don't remember there even necessarily being a massive stress around it, luckily. I think it was just, and not to say there wasn't stress, I think just maybe it was kept on the down low from the kids, but I think it was just a very factual discussion of money, a very much like, well, as soon as this happens, then that can happen. And until then, cool your jets, kid. We'll get your Levi's or whatever it was I was burning with desire to get for back to school then as soon as we're capable of doing so. I love that. So they were pairing the receipt of money with the spending of money. That's it. For sure. Sam, how has that influenced you today? It's funny you ask that. I think I am very much that we will buy it when we have money kind of mentality. And I think it probably does link back to being a kid that it was when we had the funds available is when the purchase was made. Now, that being said, over time, that shifted a little bit with my parents. And I'm not sure necessarily what happened there. They went a little bit more into a credit card situation as I got older. Maybe that was another influence was the fact that I saw as an older person being able to reflect back and going like, ooh, they went from being waiting till we can get paid to buying before maybe we were able. So that has shifted my thoughts with money too. I actually had not made that connection at all. So making you more cautious as a result? Yeah, I think so. Definitely cautious, I think, and a little bit hesitant to go over our heads. It's like, we can get what we can get, but we can't get any more than that. You're getting some great groundings in personal finance from your parents growing up. And you said that you became a CFP, a certified financial planner. Was there a link? I know for me personally, I became a CFP a lot because of the personal financial experience I had as a kid. It just made a lot of sense to me. It wasn't to begin with, actually. So it was out of necessity. So I had been in a public relations job at an agency and the agency had collapsed. And when it collapsed, I needed a job. And so I had a cousin who was in financial planning who said to me over the Christmas break, hey, you could probably do this. Why don't you come and work with me? I think you can do this. And I was like, I mean, I need a job. So sure, I'll try talking to people. That seems fun. And I can figure the rest of it out. And then I loved it. And so then went down the path. Obviously, don't start as a CFP necessarily, but I kept pursuing it out of just interest and desire. You talked about your husband and that you two put your heads together and said, what'd you call it? Let's create a team or something. (laughs) The number of kids. I love it. How about as you were thinking about having a relatively large family, were you talking about money? And if so, what were the conversations about? Trying to think back whether we talked a lot about money. I don't know that we talked a whole lot about money in anticipation of having the kids. I think it was more the oh dear, we have a baby now and we need to sort out like, what are our plans? And I think a lot of couples experience this where if they don't have the conversation before they have kids, all of a sudden things change. The dynamics change a little bit. There's maybe some, especially as a Canadian, I was staying at home with an elongated mat leave, which is such a blessing to have that opportunity, but it still means there's not the same income. If you were both working before the kid, 
you're not necessarily both working right following that. And so having to have those discussions when all of a sudden it was like, you want to buy all the baby clothes and perhaps that's not the best life choice at the moment. And how were those conversations for both of you? It took a little bit of practice. We were raised differently. I think everybody comes with their different money impressions and how things work. I'm very much and have always been that person where it's like, well, you can just sort it out and make more money. Like I always lean very heavily on I'm capable and can create what I need to create. My husband, on the other hand, is a little bit more like, be careful. Let's not go so crazy. I'm never thinking I'm going crazy. I'm thinking I'm being quite logical. And he's like, you are just your assumption of everything working out is insane. I don't know what's going on over there. So it took a little bit of negotiation, a little bit of give and take on who's going to win the argument about this piece or that piece. And that compromise of early marriage as well came into it big time with money for us. I'm curious, Sam, as a parent myself, I know having a second child is very different than having a first child. As you and your husband continue to expand your family, Presumably, you are having more and more of these money conversations related to children. And so I'm wondering, does that get easier too, just like parenting does? Yes and no. For us, one of the reasons it maybe didn't get easier is because when we had our second baby, we then were very quickly approached with a job opportunity for my husband to go to Australia. So we left Calgary and went to Australia at that point. And Part of our decision-making at that point was the cost of daycare, how much I'm making in my job, whether it makes sense for me to continue to work and pay for daycare and that sort of thing and the cost of living in Alberta the way that it was at the time versus him making a very big career jump and moving, but moving to a whole new foreign land. So for us, it was like almost every time we added a baby, it was like we were adding not only a baby, but like a huge shift in where even were we living from an economic standpoint? When we moved to Australia, our research and our reality of what it cost to live there were very different. We did not do a good job. We did not do a good job. It was a huge growth for him in his career. And financially, it was growth for the family. What we didn't take into consideration was how big of a change of lifestyle and cost of living one country to the other was going to be. And We found out the day we got on a plane that we were pregnant with baby number three. That's a surprise for everybody. Wow. Tell us how you did it. You're getting paid more, but it costs a whole lot more. Tell us, how did you handle that? Well, the theory when I got to Australia was that I would go back to work. So when we got there, I was pregnant with James, early pregnant with James, and thought, okay, I'm going to do all the qualifications to do my job here in Australia. It's not significantly different a lot of the information is the same. It's just learning the tax law and things. And so I did all the qualifications. I was all ready to go. And Harrison came along. So then we have James who was born there. I was all qualified. I was about to get a job. I had a new little baby and I thought I can do this. And then I I got pregnant again. So we won't talk about that. But then as I was pregnant with Harrison, so baby number four, my husband came home and said, how do you feel about Houston? And I said, Houston, Texas? Somewhere in Australia, Houston? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Is there a Houston here in Australia? Sounds great. Very cool. Where are we going to live in the outback? No, it was Houston, Texas. So I had gone to the effort of doing all of the qualifications to be ready to go in the financial industry in Australia, had started interviewing for jobs. I was seriously there. And then he got 
called by his office and said like, Hey, we have an office in Houston. Would you guys be interested in going back stateside? And it's a four hour flight from my family versus a 30 hour flight. So all the family reasons to make that shift. So my qualifications from Canada were useless. My Australian qualifications were useless. And so here we came, but the cost of living is less in Houston than it is in Australia. So there's a financial win in there somewhere. Wow. But the career pause sounds major. So I'm curious, how did you work your way through that, especially knowing you were ambitious and had this growing family? I mean, it's just, it's astounding to me as I just think through everything that you're sharing about your moves and how it aligns with your family growth. There was definitely some frustration. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I was kind of like, really? But also it made sense in the greater scheme of things of what we were trying to do. So when we moved here, my youngest was eight weeks old when we got to Houston. And so when the timing is after that, but shortly thereafter, probably six, eight months by the time we had moved into an actual house, we were in a temporary apartment for a little while with four little kids. You can imagine what that was like. It was nuts. But I started thinking about how can I work here, but not be stuck with American qualifications and then move to Norway or something. I was deeply afraid that we were going to end up being in another country and me being like, well, I'm very well qualified, just never where I live. So that's unhelpful. So I decided I was going to figure out a way to make a business that would be like a turtle shell. So how could I have something that I could take with me regardless of where I ended up? And that's where I started doing financial coaching with people. So when Harrison went into basically the beginning of preschool is when I started doing that. So it was a long thinking process of like, how can I make this happen here? Sam, you mentioned earlier that childcare was a big consideration in your family's finances. How did you square the presumed need for childcare with growing a business for yourself? I didn't basically use childcare. So in its traditional form. So it wasn't like the kids were all getting dropped off. When we moved here, my daughter was in kindergarten, which is full day kindergarten in Texas. So she was in kindergarten here. So that was her giving me six hours a day. Then Marcus went into preschool and there's a lot of Mother's Day out programs and things like that here in Texas. And I'm sure other places in the States as well that allowed like a three day a week, five hours a day kind of opportunity. And it fluctuates a little bit. So I started using things like that where I was like, okay, so he's there. And then when the little boys were at home, it was just working in the nooks and crannies, working at nap time and hoping that aligned with the two boys and didn't align when I had to pick people up from preschool. So it just was a very gradual step into business. So it certainly wasn't like I had 40 hours a week by any stretch. I had four. And then sometimes I had two if people wouldn't sleep. And then sometimes I'd have five if things all aligned. Or I worked in the van in carpool lines more than any other place. Because the kids were trapped in car seats and they couldn't get out. Sam, you're creative. You're an entrepreneur. This is so great. How did you grow your business? I mean, you've come again from Australia. You're launching something that's so important. How do you think about growing it? How, how did you? How did you price it? Poorly to begin with, a lot of those things. I was part of a lot of like moms groups and expat groups. So when I first moved here, I had a friend who had left Perth shortly before us and had moved to Houston. So I was really lucky that she came, whatever it was, like I think Kimberly was here maybe four weeks or five weeks ahead of me. And so what it meant is she found the Australian expat group. So when I got here, I had people. 
she's like, Hey, I've got some friends. And I'm like, sweet. I need friends. That's great. So I have always felt if you can't have a group of people around, like you have to just bloom where you're planted. You have to just go and meet people. I'm very extroverted, very motivated to engage with people. I didn't ever stay at home. Even when we first moved to Australia, it was like, where's reading time at the library? Where's there's got to be a mother's, there's got to be some people I can kind of engage with. I didn't attack this woman in the grocery store. That would be too, too strong, but she would probably laugh and say like, no, you were kind of, you came on pretty strong. She had a New York accent in the Australian grocery store and she had a little baby in the front part of the shopping cart. And I came up behind her and I was like, hi, where are you from? I've just moved to Perth. Like I was so lonely. I needed a person. And so we met for coffee and then we went to the park and our kids hung out and I still hung out with her like three years later when I was still in Perth. So I'm a little bit that girl. I will make you my friend. Let's be friends. Good for you. So you started in this community, shared what you were building and just grew it sort of one client at a time. Is it more of a, it's a consulting business? Yeah, it was very much like that. It was one of the first clients that I signed was the guy who was in the backyard building the pool fence around. We bought a house with a pool. And so we were putting a pool fence in for the kids. And he was asking me what I did. I had said something about work and he asked me what I did. And I told him, and he said, well, I need help with that. And I said, well, I'll help you with that. And at the time I bartered with him for the pool fence and I did financial coaching with him for six months. So you kind of just have to talk to all the people, whoever they might be, and let them know what you're doing. And then maybe it's a good fit. That's a great story, Sam. And I'm curious, what does it mean to be a financial coach? Can you just make that crystal clear for our listeners? Yeah. So when I first started, financial coaching was very much helping people with their budgets, with their understanding and like financial acumen. So understanding what power they have with their finances, how to engage with some of the different systems that are out there, understanding why they would use things like 401ks or 401k top-ups that they have or matching from employers. So it was a lot of financial education and then advice around spending, saving, how do you structure your finances in a way that helps. At that time, I wasn't doing any sort of, because I wasn't licensed, I hadn't gone and done all of the training here. And although the baseline strategies for all of these things are similar, like budgeting and understanding money. It doesn't matter what country you're from. That's the same. That's what I was coaching people on was just financial education and understanding of what they were doing. And then what happened for me was so many people came that were business owners. So it went from being like, I can help you figure out your budget and manage your money or wait, you have a business? I, okay, I can help you make more money in your business. And that will not solve your problems. We all know that doesn't solve your problems, but certainly alleviate some of the stress. And then you can work on your personal financial stuff. So that's how I ended up profit coaching versus financial coaching. I love the profit orientation. And so Sam, you have money conversations every day with your clients. And I was wondering, what's the most surprising observation that you've had with your clients? I think there's two. I think there's number one, people who own businesses that are highly reluctant to be salespeople, despite the fact that you have no choice but to be a salesperson in ownership of business. You have to be the person who's willing to put yourself out there and share your knowledge and ask for 
payment in return. You have to get very comfortable with that. And I think it's surprising to me how many people start businesses and don't realize they're going to be talking sales. They're going to have to engage in that uncomfortable money chat in that way. That's probably the first one that I see a lot. I think the second one is shame around not understanding the finances of their business. And that's huge. It's huge. I see it in almost every client is some level of, I should already know this, despite the fact that we're not actually ever taught this. Like Unless you went through and did an MBA with an entrepreneurial focus, we're not taught how to manage our money. We're just expected to know, like we learned from osmosis, from our parents who didn't know necessarily very well either. There's that expectation and yet it's completely unrealistic. So people feel terrible about it and don't want to talk about it and then make a mess of their money by accident, not talking about it. Yeah, we see that one all the time in our business and it comes up a lot on money tales, which is why it's so important to have these money conversations. Sam, are your parents still alive? They are. What does your father think of you having become an entrepreneur like he was? You know, that's a really good question. I haven't directly ever asked him, which I'm like, well, that's going to be our next phone call. I haven't directly asked him. He's always very interested. He's always been very encouraging, but also very like, he wants to know what I'm doing, even if he doesn't always completely, I'll be talking about Instagram or something like that. And he's like, what even, or the podcast, you know, he kind of is like, wait, what is a podcast against? There's some questions around the, the tech sometimes, but I think he's definitely proud of me. I think he sees how much of an influence he had having a business of his own. I certainly alluded to and told him, you are the reason I started a business because I saw you and I wanted to be like the boss. That looked great. That was really fun to hang out at the job site with you. And you were the guy telling the people how to do the job and knowing how to do the job. That was cool to me. So he knows that. I think he's probably pretty proud of me that that happened. Oh, I bet he is. And I'm curious, are you intentionally modeling entrepreneurship to your children? Even if I wasn't intentionally doing it, they're picking it up anyway. Especially two of my boys are very much like Harrison, the youngest, is the one who has said to me like, well, make it bigger. Make the company bigger, mom, because I need somewhere to work when I get big. Like, have you made a million dollars yet this week? And I'm like, this week? No, darling, sorry, I'm working on it. So he definitely sees this is a thing you can do. And my 13-year-old, as he's gotten a bit older, I can see his brain working and going like, wait, what do I want to do when I grow up? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And he's like, well, do I have to go to college? And I'm like, you don't have to. No, we won't say that in front of dad though, because as a guy with his master's in physics, he maybe disagrees a little bit. But we've kind of had those conversations of like, no, you're a lot more capable of controlling your own destiny than following a traditional path. A traditional path's not bad, but it's not a necessity. So they're getting that. They're seeing it. Sam, how do you define success? I really define success in having the comfort to do what I want to do with my time. So for me, it is being able to drop everything and take somebody to a soccer practice or be at all the games or that's just my life right now. But being able to travel, those sorts of things, that's success. So it's a certain level of, I need to help a certain number of people be successful in their business, which will translate to success in mine, which translates to success in my life, which is getting to hang out with my family and being a really active part of it all the time. 
I love the thoughtfulness in the way that you've led your life. And I'm curious as you work with clients as their as their profit coach, is the emphasis entirely on profits? It's not entirely on profits, but it's certainly like profit has to come first from the perspective of what you're doing. And it ties right back to like what I just said about success. Entrepreneurs want to make more money and spend less time or have more time freedom in their lives. Generally speaking, that's why everybody's doing it. So in order for them to be able to do that, they need to focus on profit. You can focus on revenue and top line sales all day long. But if you're not managing how you're spending and you're not focusing on that piece, you don't get to take anything home. And then you end up being a workaholic and killing yourself to make more and more and more sales all the time. It doesn't create success. So I think profit isn't the only thing, right? There's a lot of pieces of a human that are in a business, but if you're not focused on profit, you're going to probably struggle a little bit. You don't have to. It's certainly easy to measure at the end of the day. So I like the clarity there. Sam, tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I feel like we've been having a repetitive discussion at my house with my 15-year-old who for a while was bound and determined to graduate a year early. And so we were talking about what does that look like financially for you cutting the saving time for school short? And so we've been having that conversation. As a Canadian, she has the opportunity to go to university in Canada or in the States. And so we've had a lot of conversations about, does it matter where you go to school? Does it matter how much you pay for tuition? How much of a loan, how much of a debt do you want to incur? So those are our conversations around our house lately is make good choices, kid, because you don't want to pay them off till you're 52. That feels like a terrible life choice. Such great advice, Sam. And I love these conversations. Would you share with our listeners, where is the best place for them to reach you? Probably the best place is just to come visit me on Instagram. It's Sam, the profit coach. So come pop into my DMs. Let me know you listen to the podcast because that's always very cool to hear when people have heard you other places. And let me know if there's anything I can help with on your profit front. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining us on the Money Tales podcast. You are so welcome. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.